Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Welcome back to another edition of NFL University. I'm Steven Serta of Arrowhead Pride. NFL University is brought to you by DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code SBNNFL for a special offer when you sign up. That's code SBNNFL only at the DraftKings Sportsbook. Training camp is officially underway across the entire NFL. It has been a jam-packed day, jam-packed week, really, as everybody's getting used to the scale of the NFL season getting underway again. There's just seems like there's been stuff every day. So let me welcome in Justice Mosqueda of Acme Packing Co. No KP today. He is on the ground at 49ers training camp. So he may be back with us next week. We'll see. But a lot going on across the entire league. So we're just going to unpack some of the biggest training camp storylines so far on today's show. And we begin with the Kyler Murray contract language on his film study. It was leaked yesterday as a part of that new massive deal that Kyler inked last week that he's got a clause in there that stipulates he has to watch film at least an extra, I think it was four hours a week, Justice, um, like on top of whatever he normally does, to as if to say that he doesn't do enough of it. And there was some clauses in there about you know, playing video games and stuff like that and watching things on his tablet as opposed to doing film study. I, I think all of this just further highlights how bad of an organization the Arizona Cardinals are in general. Everyone reacted the same way, which was, that's very weird. Also very weird that it like leaks out immediately. The The framing of it was funny. Of It was important to the Cardinals, so it's important to Kyler that they make that commitment. But codifying something like that is very odd i also thought it was very funny the people who immediately ran out there and started uh tracking kyler murray's uh like week by week performances compared to when call of duty games dropped (laughs) by year i thought that was funny and seeing that like basically call of duty gets released kyler murray's efficiency drops down we saw this with the baker mayfield thing right where they were talking about before that packers game he was just playing call of duty the entire week I don't know. The Cardinals are such a weird organization to me. It seems like they've really been dragging their feet on both the extensions of Cliff and Kyler. It seems like they're not happy with like how successful the team is relative to how much they're committing to these guys, but it's the cost of doing business and your general manager that you've kept around for multiple staffs and his buddies with the head coach. Like at some point he's going to have to earn his weight and start surrounding these guys with talent. Like, I don't know if Kyler plays in the NFL if Cliff wasn't the head coach. So you can't say that that, that was, you know, the general manager. It, it's not Steve Kime gets credit for drafting Kyler Murray. He was the obvious number one pick, right? It's the same thing with, like, 
Ryan Grigson. You don't give him credit for drafting Andrew Luck first overall. You give him credit for everything that happened around him. So at some point, I think the focus has to go back to the general manager because Kaim is the guy who I think is underperforming more than anyone, and it seems like he's never the guy who gets the finger pointed at it. Remember, you know, after the season, there were finger pointing about Kyler, you know, being a leader and all that stuff. Like, this stuff is obviously coming from management, whether it be from the ownership level or the front office level, because I don't think it's coming from the head coach. Again, uh, Cliff and Kyler have the same agent. They've been buddies since Kyler was, what, a high school recruit? Like, I don't think it's coming from them. So it does seem like they have a weird type of split where it's like the Cliff and Kyler people in the locker room and then the rest. Yeah, and when we see stories like this leaked out, like I totally agree with you. I I think this stuff generally does come from management, and we see this stuff a ton in contract negotiations where you know teams and organizations want to try to pull in any kind of leverage they can in negotiating tactics, so they leak out oh, Kyler Murray's a bad teammate. He's not a leader. People don't love playing for Kyler Murray the way you see guys love playing for other quarterbacks in the NFL. And I, I just think it goes back to highlighting that the Arizona Cardinals just aren't in the type of position to win right now that they think they are. Like, they're coming off of a strong season where they're the last undefeated team in the NFL. Yeah. But none of us thought they were, like, the best team in football at that point. And then we saw their perennial late-season decline, which – I think you can put on Cliff. I think you can put on Kyler. But organizationally, it comes back to the general manager. It comes back to the owner. And a lot of these things come out because of those guys, because of the relationships that they have in the media. And they know that they can control the narratives in certain ways. So this doesn't come out if Michael Bidwell or Steve Kime don't put it out there, I don't think. Because this isn't no. something I would imagine Kyler Murray is happy got at, that got out. And Cliff Kingsbury just re-upped his contract. Why would he go out of his way to upset his quarterback who they just gave $46 million a year to? Like Again, just, who he's had a relationship with since Kyler was like yeah. a 16-year-old and they had the same agent. Like It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I, I just think it further highlights uh, that the Arizona Cardinals just aren't a particularly well-run organization right now because – for, for a team that just paid their franchise quarterback, and as I already mentioned, I he, Kyler Murray is the best quarterback that they've ever drafted as a franchise. Like Whether you think Kyler Murray is truly an elite quarterback or not, he's a very good football player. And so this isn't how you handle these things. Um, you know, Even like Lamar Jackson with the Ravens, obviously Lamar Jackson wants to get paid, and I would have to imagine he's not happy about the fact that it's taken this long and that he still doesn't have a new contract. But he's been very open about it, and the Ravens pretty much have too. Lamar Jackson's probably making it more complicated because he doesn't have an agent, and I would expect a deal to inevitably get done. They're not actively trying to piss off their franchise quarterback. like that. That's just not the way these things usually work. So it, it's a mess for the Arizona Cardinals, but they got Cliff, uh, they got their general manager, and, and they got Kyler Murray locked up long-term. So we'll, we'll see if this continues to change in any way but it just all seems like a weird situation there in arizona uh next big thing so far as training camps open across the nfl uh 49ers head coach kyle shanahan confirmed that the team has officially moved on from jimmy garoppolo trey lance is their starting quarterback jimmy g was reportedly cleared uh to practice but he's not going to practice with the team and we'll see uh if if other teams start you know really ramping up 
possible trade talks because I would have to imagine the Niners are clearing him because they want to trade him. And if he fails a physical, it's going to be really hard to train or to trade him, but he's not going to practice with the team. So they did confirm Trey Lance is their guy. They've moved on from Jimmy Garoppolo. Now it's just a matter of time until they move him. General manager, John Lynch also confirmed that they've already started working on a contract extension for Nick Bosa, but they're not expected to address that until next year. I would imagine he's going to be the highest paid pass rusher in the NFL when that yeah. comes out, but back to the Jimmy G stuff. Uh, I, I think it's gotta be relieving for 49ers fans that they at least confirmed it now. And we don't have to do this whole song and dance of, well, what if they keep Jimmy? What if Jimmy uh, w- winds up being the starter? Cause Trey's playing bad and the locker room loves Jimmy G it's Trey Lance's team now. And I think it was really important for San Francisco to finally confirm that. I don't know why they waited until the end of July to do it, but they, at least they finally did it. Yeah. We'll see where Jimmy goes. I mean, the team that still makes the most sense to me is Cleveland, you know, depending on how the Sean Watson suspension ends up shaking out from the sounds of it with the independent arbitrator. It sounds like maybe eight games. It's probably if I were to put an over under, it would probably be eight games. I don't think he's going to get a full year long suspension based on the way that they talk about the independent arbitrator. And then, um, you know, he's not going to get a two year suspension like you know Trevor Bauer did in, in baseball for that. So I think Jimmy makes a lot of sense there. I believe Jimmy has a I think I saw it was like a seven point five million dollar injury clause. So if he would have gotten injured in practice, the Niners are on the hook. Um you know, moving forward for that guaranteed, plus the fact that they can't get, you know, his salary off the books or, you know, any uh, draft pick compensation back. So I think at this point, Cleveland is the team to circle just because I think they're probably in the worst spot in terms of like if you have to start Jacoby Brissett for half a season with a team that is built to win a Super Bowl right now when Jimmy already has played in a system fairly similar to, to what Stefanski is going to run. I think that makes the most sense. Um, on the Bosa thing, yeah, he's going to be the highest paid defensive player of all time whenever his contract comes up. I mean, Joey did it, and Nick is probably better than Joey. So he's just going to literally point at his brother and say, like, hey, I'm probably a little bit better than him, and he broke records. So how about I break records now? Yeah, he is going to get a fat contract extension. And, and you mentioned the Browns, and I do want to mention that Head coach Kevin Stefanski did confirm to the media on Wednesday that if Deshaun Watson does in fact get suspended, they are expecting Jacoby Brissett to be their starter. So it would be interesting if they're interested in Jimmy Garoppolo and they can get him in there in Cleveland. Cleveland does have a good roster. Uh, they're a team that's set up to win right now. Um, and obviously trading for Deshaun Watson, they're hoping to get uh, a superstar quarterback in there with he ever gets his stuff figured out and if this stuff ever gets figured out across the NFL. But I do agree with you. It seems like it's going to be uh, a lesser suspension once we inevitably find that out. Um, but curious to see what happens with Jimmy G. What do you think the trade value is for Jimmy Garoppolo? Even like you're not giving up more than like a fifth round pick for Jimmy Garoppolo, right? Yeah, I was going to say a fourth. I mean, it's a half year rental, right? I mean, it, it really is like a six game rental if, if, that's the situation that we're, it's going to play out six to eight games. I, I can't imagine you give up more than like a fourth for that, especially considering his contract. It's not like he's coming in super cheap there. There's only a few quarterbacks that you can make the move for who can actually start games at a, at a low salary because of your cap situation. That's not the issue in Cleveland right now. So 
I couldn't imagine it's more than day three pick. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I I don't think there's a lot of value in trading for him unless you're in a weird situation like the Cleveland Browns are. Uh, you know, maybe Seattle is still kind of interested in sniffing around, but those in division trades are just hard to pull off in general. So I, I would be plus it's Pete. Like, I don't know if Pete like wants to commit to a quarterback. I think he'd rather like. Yeah. I think he's. I honestly think he's very happy with Drew Locke and Geno Smith under center. And he's like, oh, yeah, we just don't have to think about the quarterback ever. It's, I think he legitimately thinks that Geno Smith, like, Geno Smith could be our guy for a couple years. Like, (laughs) he legitimately believes that Geno Smith could be their starting quarterback and they can find a way to win football games. Um, So, yeah, I I don't know if Jimmy G is going to wind up in Seattle, but uh, that it does seem like that saga is going to come to an end at some point here in the near future. So, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, next thing, I know this one hurt justice. Julio Jones signs a one-year deal with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They also cleared Chris Godwin for training camp activity, so he should be on the field. And they add Julio Jones to that wide receiver core that's already got Mike Evans, see if they get Chris Godwin back healthy. And all of a sudden, you're just like, okay, well, Tampa Bay is just a Super Bowl contender again. And I think they were before this. But now Julio coming off the bad season, and I understand he's had this hamstring injury kind of lingering for like three years now, but he doesn't need to be the focal point of an offense anymore. He just has to be complimentary to Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. So I I love the fit for Julio Jones at Tampa Bay. He might be wide receiver four on that team. He could have, like, he legitimately could have been wide receiver one in Green Bay. Do you know who the Packers, here, the Packers started uh, when they went out in training camp today. The starting wide receivers were Alan Lazard and blank fill in the blank guess who the other starter was uh romeo Dobbs or amari no. rogers no amari amari wasn't on there either so Savy watkins is on the non-football injury list christian watson had a what they described as a minor knee surgery um in between uh mini camp and training camp so he's on pup typical sammy fashion it it is juan winfrey <laughs> Juwan Winfrey, which is, by the way, a terrible sign for Amari Rodgers. If Jawan Winfrey is jumping you on the depth chart this early in camp, that's that's not a great sign for you, especially with all those rookies coming in, Randall Cobb playing the slot. Those injured guys aren't even on the field. But, damn, man, like Julio really could have come in and just immediately been a great guy. I, I said, like, I, I can't believe Tom Brady is getting away with man you get julio might be your wide receiver four and you just finally lost gronk like he can't keep doing this man the packers are gonna go 13 and four and then lose to tom brady and lambo again i'm sick it's i already liked everything that tampa bay had done this offseason and now this is kind of like what the their Chiefs defense just needed to get healthy yeah their defense just needed to get healthy and they were gonna go supernova again and now they have like even more of, of a buffer in case of injuries. Yeah. It's Tampa Bay, I think, got that much better. And whether you have faith in Julio Jones at this point in his career, I, I do think that there could be something to he knows it's coming to the end of the line and he's been so banged up over the last couple of years. I still think that if you get a fully healthy Julio, I still think that he could be a very valuable part of that offense. And but they're not asking him to be more than a wide receiver three or four at this point. Yeah. And he's still Julio Jones, and he still can't commands respect from opposing defenses. So, if the worst the worst worst comes to worst, he's like a red zone target that you hit if they're like doubling 
you know, Mike Evans are shading him, right? Like, yeah, that still Brady, has a ton of value. And Brady f- finds ways to make those guys useful every yeah. single season. Just <laughs> give him a big body and put him in the end zone, and Brady will find him when they're double and triple teaming Mike Evans. So must be nice. Yeah, be nice. I, I think it's a good addition. I I love Julio Jones as a player, so I do really want to see him stay healthy this season because I, I hope that the last season in Atlanta wasn't really like the, the last time we see a healthy Julio Jones because uh, I, I just totally disregard that season with Tennessee because yeah, that didn't it, happen. Yeah, yeah, it just, it just never happened. As far as I'm concerned, he never played for the Tennessee Titans last season. Um, Cincinnati Bengals owner Mike Brown, uh, for whatever reason earlier this week, maybe it was all the Kyler Murray talk. He felt like he had to get in and make a headline. Uh, he said that he thinks more quarterbacks should take team friendly deals like Patrick Mahomes. And this of course, uh, seems to be foreshadowing for his inevitable uh, contract negotiation with franchise quarterback, Joe Burrow, who just took the Bengals to a super bowl and he's only headed into year three. Uh, Mike Brown, in case our audience doesn't know, I know me and Justice are well aware of it, is widely considered the cheapest owner in the NFL, like notoriously for decades now or for for 15 years, 20 years or whatever. The Cincinnati Bengals are that franchise that like, oh, we don't love spending money. Like we always have more cap space than we really need to because we don't like giving out big contracts and we don't like spending big money on free agents. So it seems like this is Mike Brown just getting out ahead of things and saying, uh, when Joe Burrow wants $45 million a year, I think I'm going to tell him to look at Patrick Mahomes deal and see and say, see, look what they did there in Kansas city and look at all the help they were able to get him every year because Patrick Mahomes took a team friendly contract. It's going to be really interesting to see what the quarterback market looks like, because my assumption was that after the Deshaun Watson signing, every quarterback is just going to ask for fully guaranteed contracts, right? That obviously didn't happen with Kyler Murray. We'll see what happens with, you know, Lamar Jackson moving forward. I think that's the next domino, but the Bengals, I believe have the right to negotiate with uh, Joe Burrow on an extension, not this year, but starting next off season. So, you know, this might be, uh, you know, January, February, 2023 type of thing. But I think the way Brown looks at the Mahomes deal and the Mahomes deal is unique in that, like there really isn't, another deal structure that way in the entire NFL. It's basically a 10 year contract that guarantees the f- next season's salary the year before. And it just does that, you know, throughout the lifetime of the deal. So I think the way that uh, Brown looks at that, because Brown, as far as owners go is cash poor. Um, and the way that the NFL is structured still is you have to put guaranteed money into escrow. So if you're guaranteeing, you know, a 10 year contract for a guy like a Patrick Mahomes, which you can't guarantee salary, you know, or at least the signing bonus doesn't extend over five years, you have to put all that money basically into an account. So Brown has to get his hands on a bunch of cash basically at a single time, instead of having to be able to pay it year by year. And I think the reason that he talks about the Mahomes contract is because it does guarantee the year ahead, right? So you only have to stay like a year ahead of it after like the first, I think, four or five seasons. I will say the Chiefs, like it's it's not happening this year or next year, but like three, four years down the line when Patrick Mahomes is still under contract for like another six seasons or whatever, that's going to be one of the best contracts in sports. Like the Chiefs really nailed it. I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised Mahomes – went for a deal like that like 
I really don't know what the quarterback market looks like moving forward, right? Because you have like the Josh Allen and uh, Kyler Murray deals, which are like traditional just quarterback contracts. The only difference is that the salaries are going up, right? Then you have the Watson contract, which is like fully guaranteed. And then you have the Patrick Mahomes contract, which is like kind of uh, you, you guarantee it a year ahead of time by him still being on the roster, right? And you have him for 10 years, which is a crazy length. Like, imagine what NFL salaries are going to be like in 2030, right? So I, I have no idea what direction this takes. I think we're going to get a lot of clarity based off of kind of what Lamar Jackson looks like. And then I guess Joe Burrow's camp is going to have to make a decision. Well, and after the news came out about the Kyler Murray extension and, you know, he's now the second highest paid quarterback in football, uh, Patrick Mahomes was actually asked last week uh, about that. And, you know, if he sees these other guys getting paid and he's like, okay, we got to do something about this here soon because I'm not trying to be the eighth highest paid quarterback in the NFL. And he was honest about it. He just said, I'm at a point in my life where I've made enough money. Like I'm not, I'm not really worried about the. That is the other thing where you're like, I'm only making five hundred million dollars, right? It's like that whole thing. But I mean, people do care. I mean, you look at it. I mean, Rogers is still fighting for money right now. We see it year by year, right? He got like basically like sixty million dollar per extension because he said he wanted he wanted to get paid. He cares about money. You look at you know baseball and stuff like that. Guys are signing crazy contracts that are on par with what the NFL makes or are even better. So I don't know. Some people are going to care about it. Some people are going to look at it as a respect thing. Some people are going to look at it and say, you know, I, I want my money. I want to get paid the most I can for, for my playing career because the owners aren't making this money that I'm bringing onto the field. So I don't know. It's like a really weird, like case by case basis. And I think the quarterback position in general is just so up in the air right now with how things are changing in the league. Well, and you know, if you're Patrick Mahomes, you're, you you should at least the way that I would look at it is like you've got this window and quarterbacks windows in the NFL are much larger than other positions, but you've got this amount of time where you can make this much money. Are you ever going to be able to reach that amount of money like in your post football playing career? And for Patrick Mahomes, the answer is probably yes. Like we saw Tom Brady reportedly get this monster television contract whenever he decides to retire that's paying him an absolutely outrageous amount of money. Like Patrick Mahomes is on that level where he probably could get that. But at the same time, you want to capitalize while, while your window's high. But I would say the difference between him and Burrow probably is that like Mahomes has national endorsements and he's got, and I I can't imagine how much money he's making off of his endorsements. I would imagine it's probably pretty close to what his NFL salary is because he's got so many of them. Burrow hasn't really stepped into that, category yet in terms of like commercials endorsements things like that i'd have to imagine that's coming because he's a really popular player on a really good team and he's a young franchise quarterback but i don't know if it's ever going to happen at the level of patrick mahomes because he's kind of the face of the nfl right now so we'll see it's just a weird thing for an owner to put out (laughs) this early uh i mean to be fair as as far as things go like i generally think like owners just are not ever really being honest, truly honest with it when they talk to the media. I believe Mike Brown's being honest here. I believe Mike Brown is like, yeah, please sign the Mahomes deal. Like the Mahomes deal really works for us, you know, financially. Like this, this is a Browns organization or a Bengals organization. Remember that when they hired Zach Taylor, like one of the big stories that came out of Cincinnati was we got a play clock for the practice field, right? Like th- those are things that like high school teams have. 
right? Yeah. Like this is Mike Brown who sometimes looks over the shoulder of people who are visiting the Bengals and is like making sure you're not taking food out of the cafeteria to go eat it somewhere else because he cares about like penny pinching to that yeah. level. Like he makes his money from football. They have the smallest staff, uh, front office staff in the sport. They used to have coaches basically do the jobs of scouts until very recently. I think that happened under uh, Marvin Lewis. Um, they're, they're not they're, – they're a football program, and that's really it. So, like, I, I believe a lot of this stuff. Yeah. It's the, – the yeah, the thing about him, you know, making sure people aren't stealing food and stuff like that, it's like that tells you everything you need to know about him. And maybe he does have to penny pinch a little bit more than other owners do, but, you know, Joe Burrow is a player that you're going to pay – 45 million dollars a year for or 50 I think million if you could ask him to like super sim and just like get to like would you want to pay burrow and chase he would just say yes immediately yeah 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 no no questions asked like it's as easy as that those are the cornerstones of your franchise so you pay them and maybe you do you do just want to get out ahead of this thing early but you're inevitably going to make those guys really really high paid players in the nfl but Let's take a quick time out. When we get back, we'll run through some more training camp headlines that you need to know. That's coming up next on NFL University. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Welcome back into NFL University. I'm Steven Serta of Arrowhead Pride, joined by Justice Mosqueda of Acme Packing Co., the New Orleans Saints got big news on Wednesday as wide receiver Michael Thomas returned to the practice field after missing all of last season with an ankle injury, missed a majority of the season before. And he's a guy that we've talked about a little bit on this show over the last couple of weeks with wide receiver rankings and stuff coming out just before the season. And you know, Michael Thomas pretty much hasn't played in two NFL seasons. And the Saints are really hoping that he's still that number one type of wide receiver that they can bank on. It's it is big news because he was on the pup list for a day and then they took him off the pup list and now he's back on the practice field. So it's big news for the saints. If he does look anything like the player that we last saw, which I think wasn't the last time we saw him play a full healthy season. He like broke the receptions record in the NFL. Yeah, he doesn't have to breeze anymore though. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, that's the big I all those slants anymore. It's going to be a big year for, for Michael Thomas. I mean, I, I don't know which way to make it, um, I probably wouldn't bet on him returning to form, but like, am I confident in that? No. Why? Because I haven't seen him play a full healthy season in like two years. Um, last we heard, he wasn't super happy with the situation on the Saints either, right? Like, wasn't he threatening to hold out last year before he ended up getting hurt? Like, yeah, there, there was, was a whole lot of stuff going it's on. It's been going back a couple of years where 
he was at one point like publicly accusing the saints of trying to force him to play through an injury that inevitably wound up being like that ankle injury that has kept him out for two seasons. So he, he is not uh he burned some bridges with Sean Payton at least, but Sean Payton's not there anymore. It'll be interesting to see like, if he does return to form, will he then ask for a ticket out of town? Like who, who knows? I, I don't know heads or tails to make of this situation. It'll be interesting to watch for sure. I mean, I think the Saints are a team that we've talked about how weak the NFC is in terms of like the bottom end of like the wild card race, just because so many of these teams are either rebuilding or just complete messes, right? Like I think the Saints could be the sixth, seventh seed in the NFC. It's going to be like them, the Eagles, the Cardinals, and then uh, my Lions, of course, my Lions. So, I mean, they're going to be in the conversation for the playoffs. It'll be interesting to monitor throughout the year because they're going to be relevant. I'm looking at Michael Con- Michael Thomas's contract right now, and first of all, he's already 29 years old. It feels like he has not been in the NFL long enough. To well, be yeah, because he old. he went to uh, a prep school coming out of high yeah. school. Like he he went to like a he basically did like a super senior year before he went to Ohio State. Yeah. So he's already an older aging veteran for a guy who really hasn't been in the NFL for that long has struggled to to even get on the field the last couple of years. And he's got massive dead cap hits over the next two years. I mean, he basically asked for a trade, right? Like as soon as he got a new deal. And then I think they reworked his contract recently where where they converted his salary into a signing bonus. And we're basically just like, screw you. You're going to stay on the team. Like you don't get to make these choices. The saints, another, another team that is relatively cash poor that is pinching pennies a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. And they every year are just like, well, we're in cap hell. We'll just figure it out. They're just like, this sucks. And then their, their front office is like the most interesting front office to me because they do just perpetually live in cap hell. They basically invented the like uh, dead years, right? They they invented the dead years with uh, Drew Brees' contract. And then they started using it for players who weren't Drew Brees. And then they're the team that always takes takes risks in the draft. Like they're the guys who are like, "Hey, there's this tackle out of Arkansas Pine Bluff by the name of Teron Armstead. Let's take a swing at him." There's a guy from Canada named Akeem Hicks. Let's take a swing at that guy. They're a really interesting program. I think they're important for the league. Like this is, if you if your team is does not have a lot of cash, right? They have to be innovative. I do think the Saints are innovative. I, I think it's good for the league that they get to be used kind of as an example. I just don't know. As far as this Michael Thomas situation goes, uh, ask me in October. Yeah, I, I would have to imagine he's not going to be with them for the long haul. But for him, it's just as important to I just got to get on the field and, and prove I can still. He's got to show himself for sure. Yeah, and it's he's got a dead cap hit of thirty eight million dollars in the upcoming season. He's got a dead cap hit the following year of twenty five million dollars. So <laughs> it's he signed that extension just in time. So thankfully, he at least got paid. Uh but I have to imagine he's not going to be a long-term answer for them. They drafted Chris Olave, who I think could be a really good player for them. So we'll see how things continue to move in Saints camp and, and see if Michael Thomas can stay healthy and stay on the field and hopefully be an impact player for them in the upcoming season. Uh, the Chiefs decided to give Travis Kelsey a raise. They moved $3 million from the back end of his deal to the front of the contract to give him a, a pay upgrade this season. Um to put it simply, I don't know what the Chiefs have done to convince Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey to take team-friendly deals and to 
just be like, we love Kansas city. We love the organization. Here's some money back, go invest in our team and, and give us championship caliber rosters. But They've been able to do it. And Travis Kelsey, basically the entirety of his career, once he made the ascension to superstar tight end, has been underpaid. And tight end is a position that's underpaid anyways, based on what you ask the elite, elite guys to do in your offense now in the modern day NFL. But Travis Kelsey has straight up never cared about it and has never been like record breaking market resetting tight end. Like he just simply doesn't care about it. And so this was just the Chiefs just being like, we got you. We'll we'll do you a solid for being so cool to us for so many years. Yeah, you usually don't see just raises, right, in the NFL. That's not really how this thing works, like, without a holdout at the very least. Um, I don't know. Maybe this is a good idea from the Chiefs end, too, though. Like, would you rather pay for Travis Kelsey in 2022, or would you rather pay for Travis Kelsey, you know, what you're getting for him in 2024? Because I don't know if – Kelsey's game is really going to age that well, you know, have being able to be that like freak athlete who lines up him, him who is it? It's him. It's Waller. It's Pitts. outside of that. Uh, dang, I'm forgetting his name. Uh, Gusecki from Miami. There's not very many guys who are like tight ends on paper who line up as like X's X wide receivers, you know, singled out, you know, in the formation at the NFL level. And I don't think that that's, once your athleticism goes, I don't think that ages very well, right? So maybe it's not a bad idea to just make sure Kelsey gets his money right now and you're paying for what his talent is at the moment and you kind of don't have to pay it moving forward if you know you, you don't like what he's like in 2024 or whatever. Yeah, at some point, this is what happens in the NFL. Like You just age out and, and you're not the same guy anymore. Like Travis Kelsey, I think, as he continues to get older, could still be uh, – you know, because of his body size and stuff like that, like he could still be effective in some ways, but yeah, right now he is so good because he's got no business being as fast as he is at 260 pounds. And he's not going to age like Gronk where he's just teeing off on guys. And then he's just massive over the middle. Like Kelsey's not playing over the middle anyway. So like that, that's kind of my thing is like Kelsey is kind of a guy I'm like, He's probably like once it falls off, like he might be out of the league in like two years. You know what I mean? Like stuff like that. So maybe it's a good idea for the Chiefs. I don't know. Yeah. His route running ability. And I think it it, it is just them doing him a solid because he's helped them out over the years. And he's ever been the guy that pushes back on that. He's made a lot of money in his career. He's had a successful NFL career. So just the Chiefs trying to be cool and and do something cool for uh, Travis Kelsey. Um, One guy they're not trying to be cool with, Orlando Brown. (laughs) <laughs> I've, I've been seeing about that where Leonard Brown wants all the bank and the Chiefs are like I don't think this is what I signed up for no one else wanted you to play left tackle bud yeah so we can mention that really quick he is not at training camp for the Kansas City Chiefs um now there's been some speculation that he's gonna hold out into the season it's it's not gonna happen it's simply not gonna happen he's never made as much money as he's going to make on the franchise tag so far in his NFL career. Like it's going to cost him a million dollars a game if he sits out into the regular season. So he's going to show up to training camp at some point. He's just not there right now. And I'm fine with him playing on the franchise tag. Um, I don't think Orlando Brown's like a top five left tackle in football. I think he's an average player and he wants to be paid like one of the highest guys. I understand that. And that's what you should ask for. And then, probably find somewhere in between i understand why he wants to get paid you never want to risk injury you know in a contract here right that's why guys will take less 
to re-sign with their own team. It's that math, right? Take, taking that risk and being like, if I get a torn ACL, will I ever reach this amount of money? You know, the, the potential for this amount of money ever again. I do kind of feel like it's a standstill, though, because you're right. I don't think Orlando Brown is even a top 10 left tackle, right? He's an average, he's an average starting tackle, probably a little bit above average if you're counting left and right tackles. He wanted to play left tackle because his dad played left tackle. The, the Ravens didn't want him playing uh, left tackle because they had Ronnie Stanley, so they decided to move him. The Chiefs traded a first-round pick for him, but at this point, it's kind of sunk cost, right? Like, you can't start thinking about that first-round pick when you're giving out a new contract. I feel like at this point, if you're the Chiefs and you're Orlando Brown, maybe the right answer is just, like, play out the franchise tag. The Chiefs end up getting that third-round compensatory pick, you know, in the – what would that be, the 2020 three draft yeah no 2024 draft and you just move on yeah I, I do think that they could wind up paying him long term at some point like it's obviously not going to happen this year I, I they just don't have a better option than him and so it, it's right. whether or not they trust themselves to to figure it out and you know before they traded for him they were in play for Trent Williams and they were willing to make Trent Williams the highest paid left tackle in football but San Francisco was able to give him a little bit more money so he decided to stay there and that's when they said okay we got to go trade for Orlando Brown because they were coming off a Super Bowl loss where their offensive line totally fell apart right. so they just don't want to go back to that but i think Orlando Brown is basically what they had in Eric Fisher for a long time like and maybe Fisher was a little bit better as a pass blocker but they are both just like average starting left tackles that they're at least not liabilities on every snap. Like the, the, the offensive know. line, so much of it too is just the sum of the parts rather than the individuals. And yeah, paying an individual who is not even that good as an individual is ill advised to me. Like Trent Williams, the way like Trent Williams last season might be the best offensive tackle I've ever seen. Like they were doing stuff, they were like motioning him as a tight end and like running him on sweeps and stuff like that, um, on the edge. Like that, that to me is crazy. You're not seeing stuff like that with Orlando Brown. And as a pass protector, as a pass protector, I think it's a lot of some of the parts in the run game. Maybe it's a little bit more about individuals, but it, it just doesn't make sense to me. I, I think if I were the general manager of the Chiefs, I would have handled this situation exactly how they did, where they were like, yeah. "We need to grab a left tackle." okay, there's a right tackle who can play left tackle. Let's get him and protect Mahomes. Oh, you want to get paid a crazy amount of money? Probably not. You're probably not that. So how about you just play on the franchise tag? Yeah, and they don't make dudes like Trent Williams. Like, they, they just don't make guys like that. Like, he is oh. absolutely insane. Like, just a mauler in every meaning of the word. Like, he is ab an absolutely incredible player. And Orlando Brown's not that, but... I understand wanting to get paid and asking to get paid sure. like you're like you're the top person at your position. You got you got to shoot for the stars and then it's just a tough sell. It it's out. a pretty tough sell. Yeah. Say, like, yeah, I should be the highest paid offensive tackle in the league. Like, I don't, I don't know about that. So speaking of tackles, this was a pretty big move out of New York Jets camp today. Uh, uh, head coach Robert Sala announced that they are moving tackle Makai Becton to the right tackle and George Fant will be their starting left tackle. His exact words were Makai's done at the left side. Like <laughs> he is, he is no longer a left tackle, which this is interesting. Cause we've talked about him a little bit this off season. He missed most of last year with an injury and then was reportedly like 
way overweight, like over 400 pounds at, at one point this off season. But he's a guy as a rookie who showed enough promise. You thought like, okay, that guy's got potential to be a, a cornerstone along that offensive line. And now first day of training camp. No, he's right tackle. He's not ever playing left tackle again for us. Wow. That's crazy. I mean, you heard, you know, pre-draft rumors and stuff like that, that the jets were in the mix, you know, at offensive tackle. A lot of people thought that they were going to end up taking an offensive tackle and, you know, getting a left tackle. Um, I'm, I'm just hearing this now. I didn't realize about this move i'm not super surprised um again in kind of like the michael thomas uh context like this is a big year for makai beckton like we're gonna see what he ends up doing because i could see the jets just not being happy with him at the end of the year and releasing him or i could see him taking the step up and revitalizing his career like this is kind of a fork in the road for him i mean he's obviously a massive dude who can move people but he's got to be a little bit more consistent on the field. I think there's, you know, obviously there's the questions about how well he's taking care of his body. Um, I think a lot of people thought he was going to shed pounds at this level, and that certainly hasn't been the case. Um, it's going to be interesting. I guess the decision is just like Zach Wilson probably has to trust whoever's blocking his blind side, right? And if we want him to develop, then we got to make that move. That's a, it's a tough pill to swallow, though. Makai Becton was what, like a top five pick? He's yeah. a top five pick and you're moving right tackle. That's never a good sign. It's interesting too, because you know the Jets are a really young team, but they made some good moves in the draft, made some good moves in the offseason. And their projected like strongest group is probably their offensive line. Mm-hmm. Like their offensive line showed a lot of promise last season, even in uh, a year where they couldn't do a lot offensively. And Zach Wilson had a, a pretty bad rookie year. It's just that, Makai Becton was the guy that we were kind of always pointing back to like, well, he should be the dude, right? Like he should be the guy on that offensive line. And it's just crazy how as a rookie, he showed all that promise and then into year two. And now we're heading into year three, how fast it's changed. And to the point where they're announcing day one of training camp, he's our right tackle. Now he, we're not, we're not putting him on the left side. Yeah. He's done at left tackle. Never a good sign. Never a good sign for a guy that you, you, put a lot of high expectations into but hopefully he gets it figured out because i do think you know his talent is through the roof he's just got to put it all together and be a little bit more consistent a lot of people were super excited about what he was doing in the preseason last year before he ended up getting hurt so i guess we'll see moving forward yeah well we'll we'll see what happens there with new york maybe he maybe he has an incredible training camp and then robert Sala comes back he's like oh actually we're gonna move him back to left tackle uh we'll, we'll see how it goes last thing uh, Seahawks running back Chris Carson announced his retirement earlier this week after five NFL seasons only appeared in four games last season before suffering a serious neck injury that inevitably forced him to retire. He wanted to return apparently and was trying to return and join the Seahawks for training camp, but he could not pass his physical. So that inevitably led him to announcing his retirement. So uh, wish Chris Carson, nothing but luck. I, I think that, for an undrafted player, he he wound up finding a role for himself in the NFL, and he was a really productive running back for a few years. So Pete Carroll, I guess, gets his wish. It's Rashad Penny. It's Kenneth Walker. It's Geno Smith and Drew Locke. Maybe he's just going to use running backs as quarterbacks. It's just going to be exclusively Wildcat in Seattle. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, and I think part of this Carson thing was um, insurance money, right? I mean, that's something that doesn't really get talked about from a – from a media perspective, I guess because like 
doesn't really matter to fans as a super lot, but they do do the math on like insurance, like insurance policies. Um, Jermichael Finley, right. When he ended up having his, I can't remember if it was neck or back injury. He could have gotten opportunities in the league, but he took the insurance money just because the insurance payout was going to be a whole lot more than what teams were going to end up willing to risk him returning to the field as right. So I don't know. Get your money, man. Like there's ain't no shame in shame in that. You put you're the one who put your, your body on the line. So yeah, these running it, backs, man, get get paid when you can because it is a brutal, brutal sport for those guys. Yeah, it, it goes away fast for these dudes. So um, you know, it, it was solid by the Seattle Seahawks to handle it the way that they did, so he could get those benefits. Um, it's a big thing for a player uh, and Chris Carson who was undrafted uh, and found a way to make an NFL roster and not only that, be a starting running back for several years in the NFL. So it is a cool move by them. But uh, thank you guys for listening to this week's edition of NFL University. You can follow Justice on Twitter at J-U-M-O-S-Q. I'm Steven Serta. That's where you can find me. Please make sure you subscribe, rate, and review everything that we're doing here on the SB Nation NFL show and make sure you guys are staying Staying locked into the feed. Uh, nothing coming up later on this week until Friday afternoon. I'm actually filling in for Rob Stats Guerrero this week with RJ Show on the look at. So you can catch us on Friday. We'll talk to you then.